is just such a delight to be here this evening. As, uh, as Paul said, I don't normally get to come. In fact, about this time on a Sunday evening, I'm normally halfway through a chapter of Roald Dahl. The, uh, the current Roald Dahl is Danny, the champion of the world. Actually, my personal favourite. Don't you love that Dahl was a Cardiff boy? Yes. Big up to the Dahl. My favourite author. Still my favourite author. Um, so, I am carrying on part two in a two-part series that my wonderful husband started last week on generosity. So here I am. Um, and I just wanted to start with um, just a little bit of background about our journey uh, to planting this church, which was quite a while ago now, believe it or not. So this church has been going on for about 11 years, going on, has been existed for about 11, just over 11 years. And um, you'll be relieved to know that prior to coming, we did a little bit of training. Uh, I needed more than James. <laughs> Mainly language, appropriate language. Still a work in progress there. Crossing my fingers for tonight. Um, but luckily I didn't mention poo this morning. Oh! <laughs> that was for Simon Goff who is not here. My favourite word. So anyway, back to the training that clearly didn't work. Uh, one of the things, uh, well, we'd had lots of things that we were um, taught about in terms of preparing to church plant, but there were quite a few things that I'd never thought about, we'd never thought about, and, and a couple of other things that I was surprised about as well. And one of the things that we were warned about prior to coming was avoiding talking about the subject of money, specifically uh, biblical generosity, and um, apparently this is an all too often mistake made by church leaders, church planters, who avoid talking about money um, because it's often a delicate and an awkward subject, isn't it? You mentioned the subject of money and all sorts of emotions come up in the room. There's probably lots of emotions already coming up in this room, and sorry about that, but um, as you see, we have to talk about this. Um, Pastors avoid about talking about it because they're frightened of coming across as being money-grabbing or maybe judgmental or even desperate, heaven forbid. Well, yes, do forbid it. Um, <laughs> but as a result of this, the church misses out on a foundational part of growth in terms of its health and discipleship. And I think that James and I would have probably fallen into this trap of avoiding talking about money had it not been for this warning, probably for at least the first couple of years anyway. Um, and so as a result of that, James, for the last 11 years, has obediently taught um, the biblical view of, um, of generosity, which is not something that he has found very easy, just being honest with you. I, on the other hand, don't find it so difficult, and I'm not saying that just to to put James down in any way. It's more because I think it probably has some similarities to my job. Some of you, I'm not employed by the church. Um, I work, for some of you who don't know, I work as a GP in a local practice in Cardiff. Um, and as part of my job, I owe it to my patients to regularly address, sensitively in some cases, um, issues of lifestyle. Uh, that are key to long-term health and well-being. We all know them, don't we? Smoking, eating healthily, exercising regularly, keeping weight healthy, and uh, keeping alcohol to within safe limits. 
Now, I could avoid talking about this subject with my patients, not bring it up at all, just to avoid any awkwardness and be like, oh, yeah, do whatever you want. It's fine. It's your life. But to do so, you know, some would say I would be failing to do my job as a doctor correctly, such as the undisputed evidence that a healthy lifestyle is vital to our emotional and our physical well-being. But more to the point, I want to talk it about with my patients because I want them to be healthy. I want them to live well, and I also know that this important, is an important factor in that process. So in the same way for me is the subject of biblical generosity and specifically giving financially. Just going back to what I said earlier about the danger of pastors avoiding talking about the subject of money, if generosity was not such a key issue in our discipleship, the Bible does seem to mention it a heck of a lot. I don't know whether you've noticed that, browsing through the book. And did you know that Jesus talked about the subject of money consistently more than any other subject, second only to the kingdom of God? He knew how important generosity was to his disciples. And as he was building his future kingdom, his future church, on those early disciples, having a godly, healthy attitude to money was clearly of utmost importance to Jesus. So this talk is jam-packed full of scripture, and there could have been a lot more, and I don't apologize for that. Go read the Bible. There's even more. Um, And that's because the Bible is clear on giving, and it needs to be, because we humans are not very good at it, are we? Much in the same way as healthy eating. There's a bit of a war going on in our hearts for freedom and generosity. More on that later. But ultimately, the way that I've been taught, the way that James and I have been taught, or understand the subject of money, is one of obedience and freedom. And it's probably one of the highest markers of a heart after Jesus. And I do mean that. So James and I and the team here at the Vineyard Church owe it to God and to you to teach regularly about generosity because of how foundational it is to all of our growth as disciples of Jesus. So, let's begin. One of our values um, here as a church is outrageous generosity. You may have heard us talk about that before. We do bring it up every now and then. Uh, We've got lots of different values. They're all on our website. Have a look at them if you've not heard about them before. But one of them is outrageous generosity. And a number of years ago, we, as the staff team, we were praying about and talking about some of the values that we wanted to embody as, as a church in this city. Um, there was lots of them. There was graceful community. You might have heard of these um, shameless worshippers. But another one was all about the subject of generosity. And we were like, what word would it be that would be the best way to describe the sort of generosity that God wants us to embody? And I can remember um, Joe Gray going, it's outrageous, outrageous generosity. And I just sat there thinking, yes, that is so true. There is something about godly biblical generosity that is outrageous. I mean, if you look at somebody who is outrageously generous, it's startling, isn't it? And I love that because it just goes against something. You know, it's not sensible generosity or even nice generosity. It's outrageous generosity. So there you go, a little rant. But what does um, outrageous generosity look like for us as a church? What does that look like for myself and James? And what does that look like for you? Let's have a look at it. 
Outrageous generosity is birthed when we realize that God owns everything. And I'm here, you're here to steward the resources that he gives us. It's not mine, it's his to be stewarded on his behalf. And this is the primary principle of biblical generosity. When we understand that, it changes everything. When we grasp this as individuals, when we grasp this as a church, we truly can become outrageously generous. In Acts 20, verse 35, Jesus is quoted as saying, there is more happiness in giving than receiving. Many of us know this, don't we? But uh, <clears throat> struggle to practice it. Sorry, I'm not saying <clears throat> for a reason. I've got a bit of a throg in my throat. <laughs> wasn't an act. <clears throat> This is where I burp. <clears throat> Not going to. So, um, <laughs> if we grasp the, the profound truth of what Jesus is saying here, giving becomes more of a natural part of life. We give not just out of obedience to the scriptures. We give not just because we have a vision for the thing that we're giving for. We don't just give to have to, to, have to meet a financial need. But a recognition that generosity, especially towards God, is an extremely beautiful thing. Why? Well, I'm going to run through eight reasons. So uh, you've heard of the three-point sermon. This is the eight-point sermon. Buckle up. So giving and generosity gives us, number one, an opportunity to express God's nature. We are Christ's ambassadors here on earth. I love what that is, you know, going out on the streets. We're ambassadors, aren't we? We're stepping out into this world, demonstrating God and, and his love. And even giving out a coffee is a demonstration of welcome and love and generosity, isn't it? That we're here to represent him. And it's through us, through his body on earth, that he chooses to express his generosity. Listen to this great quote. I love this. We're most like God when we're giving. Gaze upon Christ long enough and you'll become more of a giver. Give long enough and you'll become more like Christ. God gives and gives and gives. It's part of his nature. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave that that was most precious to him. And if we want to reflect and represent God, we give. Number two, some of them are short points. Number two, giving gives us the opportunity to draw closer to God. And then he draws near to us. If we want, um, the Bible says, sorry, not if we want. If we want the Bible, well, grab one downstairs if you don't have one. We've got lots. The Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Really famous quote, Matthew 6, 21. And James talked a little bit about this principle of treasure, of where our treasure is last week. Essentially, what this um, passage, this, what this verse is saying is that my heart always goes to where I put God's money. In that verse, by telling us that our hearts follow our treasure, Jesus is saying that how we prioritize our expenditure is a good indication of what is most valuable to us. Have you ever looked at your bank statements with that question in mind? Frightening. Some of you may have an overly high representation of artisan coffee or sourdough. That was me this weekend. Overly high. Um, a number of years ago, I was um, going through my accounts with an accountant. Um, 
being a GP, you, you have to do a, a, an annual tax return, or I have had to do an annual tax return for about 11 years now, which I find exceedingly dull and horrible. I'm just being honest. Um, and so I was sitting down, this is like a, a number of years ago with the accountant, just going through various different things. And he, he made this sort of remark about what a startlingly high proportion of money I spent on wine. I thought, I do like a nice vintage. Until I realised he was referring to my standing order to Cardiff Vineyard. <laughs> yes! Um, but, you know, for me, this was such a delightful moment in my heart. A moment of intimacy as well with Jesus where I just had a little bit of a giggle. Um, because I just was like, yes, my accounts reflect generosity. And way back in the day, when I was a student, and much like you, not that long ago, actually, just so you know, only a couple of decades, um, I remember going up for prayer at, at church at the end and, and asking for the lady to pray for me to, to grow in generosity. I'd always been quite careful with money, and, and um, I think I just realized that I didn't naturally have a very generous heart. And so I just said, oh, Lord, I, I need your help with this because my heart is not where I want it to be. And so she, she prayed for me. And for me, it was just this wonderful moment years later going, yeah. I have grown in this. And God has helped me in this. And it was just this intimacy and this joy, just between me and God, that was just so beautiful. I'm not saying I'm totally there yet. That wasn't a boast. It was just a moment. Where's your heart this evening? Wherever your treasure is, your heart will be also. If it's invested in a home, your appearance, your business, your car, your family, your career where your treasure is, Jesus says, that is where your heart is. Giving helps us to draw closer to God as we align our hearts with his, as we choose to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and for that to be our treasure. Point three. It's like being at lecture in university, isn't it? Um, giving gives us an opportunity to bless God and please God. Philippians 4.18, the Apostle Paul says about financial gifts that they sent him. He says, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. When we sacrifice something that we could have bought, when we go without it and give the money to him, which, let's be honest, is what makes giving possible for most of us, we experience what Michael Green calls, I love this quote, walking in the light of the Father's smile. He's blessed by our choice and he's pleased with us. I briefly mentioned that in my last point. Number four, an opportunity or giving gives us an opportunity to gain freedom from materialism. This is such a biggie, isn't it? Our culture is so materialistic. No one can argue with that. The message the world gives us around us is do more, have more, spend more, buy more. In 1 John 2, 15 to 17, in the message version, um, John says, don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love of the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. The world and all its wanting, 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 
is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Not what I want, but what you want, Father. Everywhere we look, every kind of advertisement, and particularly so at this time of year, tells us that happiness can be purchased. Why do they do that? Because it's true. No. We all know that that's not true. We know that you can't actually buy happiness. But we are all also super gullible. Yes. The marketing taps into an underlying fact that the human heart longs to be happy, searches out happiness, which is a difficult task in a broken world and one that we all know there is only one true answer to. So the marketing tells us what we all want to hear, that happiness can be bought with this product, this body, this lifestyle, this fill-in-the-blank. And we all, like sheep, queue up with our credit cards and our Apple watches, click, click, brandished, to partake of the lie. And what do they get? Our money. What they wanted all along. Clever marketing. And if getting all of this stuff made us really happy, the most happy people in the world would be the ones with the most stuff and the biggest houses. But that's just not true, is it? The happiest people on earth are Christians who are free from the grip of materialism. None of us in the Western world are fully free. Materialism pervades our every lives, but its grip is released when we give. Every time we give, it breaks the more syndrome, which says, I've got to have more. It's the only known antidote to materialism. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, it's not wrong to enjoy nice things. The Bible says it's okay to have a house, take holidays if you can, wear nice clothes if you want to. James, an area of growth for you there. I would like him to wear nicer clothes. <laughs> but I do love the fact you're not that materialistic. Yes, I do. I prefer it. I can cope with the odd hole, as long as it's not in the crotch. <laughs> um, yeah, so he does, he's, it's okay. It's okay to have these nice things, but he doesn't want us to put our hope in them. Or to put it another way, to put our hope of fulfillment in them, but rather in him. He does not make us prosper simply so that we can spend it all on ourselves. Going back to 1 Timothy, Paul says, verse 18, command them to be generous and willing to share. 19, in this way they will take hold of the life that is truly life. Isn't that great? Deuteronomy 14, 23 in the Living Bible, it says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Now, sometimes there are growth moments, aren't there, in your life? I mean, often the time it's gradual absorption and putting discipleship things in place and stumbling a bit and getting up and carrying on and having another go again. But I do believe that there are certain moments in our lives that make us stop and have almost instantaneous change um, and growth. And I believe, I'm going to just show you something in a second. I believe that this was 
one of those moments for us as a church. A few years ago, we received a letter through the offering, and I'm going to read it out. I think it should come up behind me. Dear Sir slash Madam, we are asylum seekers and are not sure how long we'll remain in Cardiff. While we are here, we are being provided with accommodation as well as Tesco vouchers to buy food as we do not have any money and we are unable to pay our tithes and offerings in cash. Therefore, we would be grateful if you would receive our tithes and offerings in Tesco vouchers until we have money of our own. Sorry for any inconvenience. God bless. P.S. They work well at the tills. I still remember how this uh, letter affected us as a team. Uh, one of the staff who was going through the, the offering on the Monday morning just came into James's office just in tears and just said, look, this is a change moment in generosity that I will never forget. It's a change moment for our church. I hope we never forget it. Generosity isn't amount about the amount of money. It's about the heart. Those asylum seekers gave because they knew where their hope was based, in God and his kingdom. And that's why Satan hates and fights giving so much. Did you know that there's a kingdom battle going on in your mind and your heart right now about generosity? The battle over our money is a battle that God wins only rarely in the Christian world. It's often one of the last battles that many of us Christians get around to winning as well. And until we do, we are bound by materialism and the false god of money that the Bible calls mammon. Number five, giving gives us an opportunity to strengthen our faith. Why? Because giving requires faith. Giving tests our faith and giving strengthens it. Proverbs 3 verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Nine, honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Not what was left over at the end of the month or at the end of each term, the first fruits. Now you might say, well, I'd really love to trust God with all my heart. In fact, I really want to, but I don't understand how I can give a significant proportion of my money. Well, I would say, honour God by giving him the first part of your income and just see what happens. For James and myself, since we were students, we have given the first 10% before tax to the church, whatever church we've been in. And I remember as a relatively new Christian, I was about, I think I was like a first or second year student, um, hearing one of the leaders in the, the church that I was at at the time back in Nottingham that I went to speaking on giving. And because I was relatively, well, I was really new to, to faith. I was learning all about God. I was learning about what he loves. I was learning about what he was inviting me into. I remember sort of pondering and going, oh, right, that's what you do. That's what he wants. And so I went home that evening, and I wasn't a rich student. My parents paid for my accommodation, but that was it. Uh, and for the day-to-day -day food and bus fares and all of that jazz, all of the money that I lived off was my student loan and I got a bar job at the Students' Union pretty early on in um, my year. And so I went home and I looked at what my yearly amount was going to be. Uh, I took 10% of that 
And then I divided that by 12 and set up my first standing order to the church. Now, clearly wasn't very much, but it was my first step in a journey of putting God into my finances and one that I have not looked back from ever since. Probably a wonderful opportunity to save my liver from a few extra pints of beer in the process. Thank you, Lord. And this has been our practice ever since. This is how James and I understand the scriptures. When our wages change, our giving changes accordingly. This is what we believe it means to give the first fruits. Just a moment of honesty now, though. I don't always find giving easy. James does. He would give literally everything if I let him. Sometimes I'm a bit like, darling, come on. But over the years, um, particularly when I was self-employed in in the early days days of moving to Cardiff and doing sort of random work here and there, um, I had to work out what my tithe was every month because my income changed every month. And there were certainly months that I sat there and went, I don't really want to give that much to the church. I could think of multiple nice things I could do with that money. Or maybe if I saved it over a year, I could pay off that bit of loan. And maybe we could buy a new car eventually. As it is, we still have the same silver Ford Focus, still going strong at 13 years, with a little bit of gaffer tape on the bumper and a maroon wing mirror that keeps falling off. Yes. So I have these moments just being honest, where I think, oh, but I can't give in to these thoughts because they're not from God and I know it. And in these moments, I just give out of obedience and I get on with life as quickly as I can, much in the same way as I swallow down broccoli. (laughs) Do I love broccoli? No. Is it good for me? Yes. Now, some of you will be thinking, hang on a minute, Doesn't God love a cheerful giver? It says that in the Bible somewhere, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely he does. Of course he does. And that is the way he is inviting us always to give. And that's the way I want to always give. But this is a journey, guys. It's a journey that we grow in. And sometimes we just need to give out of obedience. We are just stewards. Every time we give, we are coming against that deceptive voice that whispers but you need more. You can't possibly afford to give that much. What if you don't have enough? Test him. And I promise, as I said earlier, you'll grow as a disciple. We often ask people discipleship questions, don't we? Like, how's your thought life? Uh, how are your relationships? What are you looking at online? Um, how are you, you know, speaking to people about Jesus? But another important question I would ask is how's your generosity in giving? One thing I'd just like to make clear here is that giving is not a guarantee of getting money back. It's not sow this seed of money and you'll be guaranteed to be able to afford a Ferrari or a Maserati down the road. Actually, far cooler than a Ford Focus. I may try that. But we can trust the Lord to give us all we need. Just a moment on that word need. Remember that want and need are very different words. So often we upgrade the word want to need, don't we? To justify our our desires when that's exactly what they are. Wants, not needs. Have you ever noticed yourself doing this? I have, all the time. I really need a new coat. 
actually what I'm saying is, I want a new coat, specifically that really pretty one in the new Bowdoin catalogue. But I already have three very reasonable coats at home, but I really like the style of this new one. So my deceptive little heart works out very quickly how I can justify this purchase to myself and to others around me, specifically James. And it says, if you just change the word want to need, it sounds so much more necessary. And bang, the coat is mine. Until James turns around and calls my bluff. Really? It's true though, isn't it? We all do it. In fact, I dare you, over the next week, watch how many times you say, I need, when actually you just want it. Be on your guard for this. This little trick of the heart, as it can all too often just cause us to overspend and get into debt and pours water on any flicker of generosity that may be growing. As we work out how much we might give, if we have to wait until we've worked out our budget or what we can spare, most of us would never, ever get round to giving. And we'd also find there probably wasn't much to give at the end. Luckily, in this country, it is against the law not to pay the appropriate amount of tax to the government. Otherwise, this exact same principle would be true of giving our tax. Who honestly in this room would give the right amount of tax if it was an invitation to contribute rather than the law? You know, we have a crisis of doctors and nurses. I think it might be a bit worse. Just saying. Just saying. But there's the challenge, isn't there? It just wouldn't happen. The human heart will always try to justify spending more on itself than others or other things that don't seem to obviously benefit us. As it says in Jeremiah 17:9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? God's way is so much more delightful. He invites us, not forces us, to give him the first part, the right off the top part before everything else absorbs our money, God's part. And what we do with the rest is our choice. Number six, that was a long one, wasn't it? Giving gives us an opportunity to show gratitude to God in response to God's extravagant grace. God is extravagantly extravagant in the way that he loves us and cares for us. Ephesians 1, it says, the riches of God's love, which he lavished upon us. John 3, God so loved the world that he gave his son. I quoted that before. John 1.14 talks of God's grace in this way in the message version. Like father, like son, generous inside and out. In verse 16, it goes on. We all live off his generous bounty, gift after gift after gift. We got the basics from Moses and then this exuberant giving and receiving. To simply say, cheers God, and keep it all for ourselves is to be unbelievably selfish in the light of all of his generosity. Liberally we have received, liberally we are invited to give. Number seven. Giving gives us an opportunity to support what we believe in. One of the best ways um, for a person to support a cause, as we all know, is to give money to that cause. If we believe in it, environmental, humanitarian arts charities or projects understand the importance of financing. I have, and James have, many little direct debits going to lots, all sorts of different charities. Um, giving isn't 
Only, the only way to support a work, serving, praying, and encouraging are all valid ways to support a cause. But giving financially is one major way to support what we believe in. One of the great ways to feel like you personally are helping with all the compassion projects. We mentioned Blend. We've got all sorts of compassion projects and all sorts of ministries that we run as a church. One major way to support all of that without even lifting a finger is to give. You may not be the person making it happen or even have the time to donate to help be involved. But know this, by giving financially, you are being a part of every single project that we run as a church. From Compassion to Kids Church to Alpha, all of them without giving a moment of your time. Very helpful if you're extremely busy. Isn't that great news? Another reason to feel good. Number eight, last point. Giving gives us an opportunity to be free from financial anxiety. What an interesting phrase, you may be asking. I'm already feeling anxious about my finances. How can you possibly tell me that giving more away will make me feel less anxious? Won't it be the other way around? Well, I would say it is normal but not healthy to feel anxious about your finances. But as long as you are doing your best to respond to what you think the Lord is prompting you to do, your choice to give is actually one that should reduce your anxiety about finances. Because giving by faith prompts God's response of ensuring we are looked after. Again and again and again over the years, when things have sometimes been really tight for me and James, especially when we moved down to Cardiff, um, and James sort of had a part-time um, TA job and I was on maternity leave without any maternity pay. God has always provided. Sometimes it's unexpected money, sometimes it's a fortuitous job, or moments of clarity where we've realized that we can reduce our expenditure, enabling us to give. You know, giving is, is like a muscle. The more we exercise it, the stronger it gets. Trusting God with your giving strengthens your faith. In my over 20 years of journeying with generosity and giving, I can honestly say that I just expect God to provide and guide. I give him what he invites and trust him with the rest, and he has never let us down. Many people are anxious about their financial future because they haven't learned about the true Christian life. People who hold on tightly to their money will be bound up by financial concerns. But people who are open-handed before the Lord have nothing to worry about. God says, let it be my concern. In Deuteronomy, De- oh, I can't get that word right this evening, can I? Deuteronomy, I'm going to rename it, heresy. In Deuteronomy 15, there's a passage about sharing our wealth with the poor. Verse 7, do not be tight-fisted. Verse 8, rather be open-handed. So... Giving generously back to God a proportion of what he has given to us gives us the opportunity to, number one, express God's nature and in doing so bless others. Two, draw closer to God. Three, bless and please God. Four, to gain freedom from materialism. Five, to strengthen our faith. Running out of fingers. Going on one hand. Six, to show our gratitude to God. Seven, to support what we believe in. And eight, to be free from financial anxiety. 
If you weren't here last week, James mentioned that in order to achieve all that God has asked us to do over this next year, primarily investing in our compassion projects, investing in the next generation, and investing in multi-site, we are going to need to see an increase in regular giving. Specifically, we're praying for 70 new givers in this community and an uplift of about £5,000 a month. Yes, we have big faith for that. We really want to invite those of you who've not yet committed to giving regularly to start that journey. Would you join with us on this faith adventure? Would you seek the Lord for your part? If you started giving but aren't quite giving what the Bible talks about to be a tithe, can I suggest that you pray about growing in your regular amount? Lastly, one of the reasons that many of us never get round to giving is just because we haven't got round to it. It's not that we don't want to. James, who'd been a, a Christian the entirety of his life, took two years after me to start up giving, which I will always remind him of. And lastly, let's acknowledge that giving is a challenging subject to all of us, no matter how long we've been Christians. I regularly need to remind myself of why I choose to give. But my encouragement to all of us here is to allow ourselves to step into the freedom and the joy of generosity and to excel in this grace of giving. And who knows what God will do with our loaves and fishes. Shall we stand? <laughs>